How do you respond to the possibility of dying because you are a follower of Jesus? Whoa, happy Mother's Day, right? (laughs) There are um, thousands, thousands of Christians are being martyred now every year because of their Christian faith, because they are Christian. And yet, and yet, can we, can we truly imagine dying for our faith? You know, is, is, it, is, it really, is it possible for us to truly answer that question honestly? Or, or, or might it be better to ask, in, instead of asking, how do you respond to the p- possibility of dying for your faith? Might it be a better question to ask, are we willing to live for Jesus? Instead of asking, is, uh, how, how do we, what do we think about, would we be willing to die for Jesus? Are we willing to live for Jesus? I mean, we can be theoretical here and, and talk about whether or not you'd be willing to die for Jesus, but are you even willing to live for Jesus? Or maybe let's take, it, let's take that, that question one step back just before that and just ask, what are we living for, really? If I was to sit down with you and and ask you, what goal, what, what vision, what story are you living for? What would you say? What is the vision that, that is driving you and compelling you? You see, every one of us, um, believers or unbelievers, young and old, Black or white, men or women, educated or uneducated, every single one of us is living our lives for a story. And that story shapes our lives. It it, it shapes our pursuits, it shapes our purpose, it shapes our identities, it shapes everything about us. What story are you living for? Let me give you an example. Lance Armstrong. If you don't know who he is, he was a cyclist, and he was really good. But then we found out he cheated, and he was still really good, but he cheated, so he's not so good anymore. So in a a documentary, he said, I like to win, but more than anything, I can't stand the idea of losing, because to me, that equals death. Now, that's a pretty good hint of what is Lord in his life, isn't it? The the story that Lance Armstrong told and that people loved to believe about his life is that he was a cancer survivor, which is true, who, who overcame the disease and came back to win because he was a champion, because of his hard work and his toughness. That is the story that he told about himself, the story that he believed about himself, and and the story that he was even willing to, to lie for, to cheat for, and if need be, to die for. And and that story, he, he was controlled by his story. It was the Lord of his life. 
every one of us, every individual, every organization, every, every nation, every culture is living our lives in light of a story, something that drives us, something that compels us, our particular vision of what matters most in life. And whatever story you and I are living for, whatever vision of the good life that has so captured our hearts that, that it compels us and shapes us, it ultimately controls us. So, so whatever story that we think is most important, the, the, the framework that we live our lives with, the, the thing that compels us and drives us, gets us up in the morning, that story is ultimately going to control us. And whatever controls us becomes our Lord. I'll give you another example from popular culture. Jimmy Fallon, funny guy, host of The Tonight Show, in an interview a number of years ago, he said, I remember saying to myself, if I don't make it on Saturday Night Live before I'm 25, I'm going to kill myself. Well, that's a very controlling vision and story, isn't it? He confessed, it's crazy, I had, no other, I had no other plan, I didn't have friends, I didn't have a girlfriend, I had nothing else going on at all, I had my career, and that was all. The truth is, we all have a story we live for. We, we could go through countless people who've been in the news and, and just, you get the, the, fr the framework of what their story is, what has driven them, and maybe it's some abuse when they're little, and, and now that's their story, and it is shaped and directed, you know, what they've done or what they do, or, you know, just, you know, someone who grew up in hardship, and that shaped and directed them. Each of you has a story. Each of you, your life has been shaped by a story. We all have a story that we live for, something that drives us, something that uh, we would be willing to do anything for. So instead of looking at celebrities, let's, let's look at our own hearts now. How can we know what our own story, the, the thing that controlling us really is? What, what, what is the story that you're living for? Well, here's some questions that you might want to ask that maybe help you really discover what it is. Early on in your conversations with people, when you're just getting to know them, what is... Maybe one of the first, if not the first thing that you kind of want them to know about you. So in those first five minutes, you're just itching to let them know this about yourself. It's, it's, it's the thing that you want them to know right off the bat because it is central to your identity. Might be a pretty good hint as to what your story is. What, what preoccupies you? What do you daydream about? When, when you're alone, where do your thoughts go? What is the thing that gives you the most, uh, fills you up with the most self-worth? What are, what are you most proud of in your life? For, for what do you want to be known? For what do you want to be remembered? Or what, if you failed at it, or if you lost it, would actually make you feel like you wouldn't want to be living anymore? What, if, if you lost this thing, you, you, you would feel like you wouldn't even want to be alive because that thing was so central to your identity. What do you worry about the most? What, um, what, do you, what do you turn to for comfort when things are going really badly? The true Lord of our life, the, the story that we live for, is anything that holds such a controlling position in our life 
that, that it compels us easily to, to give our, our time, our energy, our attention, our money. Effortlessly, we don't even think about it. We'll give anything up for it. We want to. We're happy to do it. In Acts chapter 6 and 7, which has to be a record for the longest sermon text we've ever just preached a sermon on, but we're, we're not going to look at every verse of it, but in Acts 6 and 7, we see in the life of Stephen a beautiful witness of the one story and the one Lord that is actually worth living for and if need be, dying for. Um, as Acts chapter 6 begins, which was, if you want to you know, reference it, it was the first reading we had today. As, as, as the chapter begins, we see that because the church was growing so fast, they ran into an organizational problem. The Greek-speaking widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now the apostles needed to be given their time to the preaching and teaching of the word. So they let the people choose seven men to better organize this also very important ministry. And it just, it's very, you know, we can learn so much. We could spend, you know, a whole chunk of time just on, on those verses. Um, it's not going to be the main thrust of where we go today, but just some lessons that we can learn as a church from that. First of all, we see how easily misunderstandings can, can arise even among the most loving and devoted followers of Jesus. But we also see how quickly and effectively these misunderstandings can be healed when Jesus and love and wisdom are reigning. We, we see how important it is to get other people involved in ministry other than just the apostles or whoever that the leaders of the church are, but to get other people involved in carrying out ministry so that, and you're going to see what happens from that, so that the word of God continues to spread. And we also see that those seven men who were chosen were full of the spirit and wisdom. So their main job was going to be organizing the distribution of food to widows, to people who didn't have any. But they needed to be men full of spirit and wisdom. They needed to be spiritually mature, um, in the word, devoted to the Lord kind of men. So important for the ministry of the church that there'd be God-given direction. Now one of those, named Stephen, was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And Stephen doesn't just stop with the, dis the, distribu the distribution of food. All right? He, um, full of God's grace and power, he does great signs and wonders. And he wasn't an apostle. That doesn't keep him from witnessing. So he wasn't the pastor or the, the, maybe the trained guy, but that does not keep him from witnessing. In fact, he was such a powerful communicator of Christ and... Um, and witness of Jesus Christ that they didn't even know what to do with him. So we just kind of pick up those verses 8 to 15. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, and, and mark this verse, we're going to hit it later, but here's really their whole 
accusation. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place, that was the temple, and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, Stephen is living his life for a story. And Stephen is living for the story of what God has done for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what drives him. That is what compels him. That is what he lives for, and as we're going to see, is even willing to die for. But, but his story, that story that Stephen was living for, went so against the story that, um, that, his oppo- that his opposition were living their lives for. You see, they were living their lives for the, uh, the Old Testament law and, and the temple. Their story began with the Old Testament law and the temple, but the thing is, it stopped there. That was the problem. It stopped there. And so they thought or they felt that Stephen's story was in opposition to their story. They thought that Stephen was teaching a different story of salvation. So in Acts chapter 7, which just you're going to see the beginning of it there in your text, in Acts chapter 7, you have one of the greatest courtroom scenes in all of history. They drag in this guy full of grace and power, and they begin falsely accusing him But his response is brilliant, and it's very long. Um, it's not all in the bulletin. His, his response is about 50-some verses where you'll have, you've got to take this home and read it. It's a long response that really sums up the whole history of Old Testament Israel. All right, We'll, we'll cover it in our Bible studies this week. Um, we're not going to look at it all today, but he gives us long sermon-long response that sums up the the whole salvation story of Israel found in the Old Testament. A story so important to the ones who were accusing him. The story that they were living their lives for. And really what Stephen is saying, Stephen shows them how they have actually gotten their own story wrong because they have misunderstood Jesus. So their accusation against him is in verse 13, where they say, this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place, this temple, and against the law. And his defense is summed up way later in chapter 7, verse 48, and that's printed there for you, where he finally says, the Most High does not live in houses made by men. So he's trying to get them to see that the temple was really just to lead us to Jesus. And we don't need now a building to house God. God lives in Jesus and in the hearts of his people. So with this whole long sermon defense, as he lays out the whole Old Testament history of Israel, uh, Stephen is saying, because I understand Jesus, I actually understand your story better than you do. Because I understand that Moses was pointing us toward Jesus. Because I understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. Because I understand that, that Jesus and now us, as his people, are the true temple of God. I'm the one who's actually living in accord with the story of Israel and the true God, and you are not. Boom! Imagine that scene in a movie. 
but don't miss the relevance of this for us. Stephen is saying that the story that we are living for, no matter what it is, remember, their, their story was the Old Testament. That's kind of a good story. So the story that we are living for, even if it's the Old Testament, is incomplete. And therefore the wrong story if Jesus is not at the center of it. If the story that you are living your lives for, no matter how good it is and how positive it is, if it does not have Jesus as the center of it and as of the Lord of it, then it is a misleading story. It is not the story to live for. It is not the Lord to live for. And so what we need to be doing for one another is encouraging each other to keep Jesus at the center of our story. Is Jesus the center of your story? Mothers, happy Mother's Day. How is Jesus the center of your story? Working in the home moms, how is Jesus the story of your daily routine? Working outside of the home moms, how is Jesus the story of your daily routine? Students, how does Jesus guide and direct your school life and give it meaning? Empty nesters, what does Jesus have to say about your finally quiet home? Retirees, what does it look like to have Jesus at the center of your retirement plan? Those of you working jobs, how does Jesus connect with your career? How do, how do your faith and your work integrate if you're an entrepreneur, an athlete, an accountant, an artist, a musician? Married couples, what does it look like to have Jesus as the story, the center of your life? Singles, how is Jesus the story that you are living for? In the, in the TV show, Once Upon a Time, all the, the fairy tale characters are, they're, they're living out their stories. But see, in the end, ultimately, there is, a, there is an author who is writing their stories. And he's the one in control. But they think they are. They think they are, and so they will, do, they will strive to um, make their stories go the way they want them to go, even to the point of sometimes trying to influence that author. Because, of course, all of them want, in their stories, a happy ending. They, they all want that the happily ever after kind of ending. And so they will resort to anything, good or bad, to achieve that happy ending. But in the end, the author is the one writing the story. Friends, is Jesus the center of your story? Is, is he your Lord? Is, is he the one that you are living for, following, trusting in? It, if not, our stories and our lives, no matter, no matter how religious, no matter how good, if Jesus is not in the center of them, our stories will be misguided. They will be dead ends. 
See, if Jesus isn't ultimately the center of our life, the Lord of our life, the, the reason that we live the way we live and do the things that we do, then that means that something else has replaced him and we're actually following and worshiping other gods, other stories, other lords. And I think we all have to admit that our stories have admitted Jesus at times, haven't they? Listen, every, every one of us was made to look to the Lord for, and, and to his story for, for meaning, for rescue, for love, for purpose, for freedom. The Bible calls this salvation. But here's the thing. You are not the center of that story. And, that, and that's what Stephen was saying here. He was saying, unless Jesus is the center of your story, you will never have a happy ending. But listen, friends, Jesus has written for us and has given us a happy ending by living our life for us, by giving his life for us, and by rising again from the dead to assure us that all of our failures have been forgiven and that, that we have real life right now and that we will have an eternal happy ending to look forward to, every one of us. This is what Stephen was saying with that long sermon that he shared. Jesus is the one who completes all of our stories. He, he's the only one worthy of our following, the only one worthy of our trust, the only one who treats us like he does. None of those false lords love you and me like Jesus does. They burden us. They enslave us. They leave us empty, dry, anxious. But they, they do not give us what we're looking for. When Jesus is the center of our story, we are the most joy-filled people. And, and Stephen was just trying to show them how dangerous it was to leave Jesus out of their story, but they wanted none of it. How do they respond? When they heard this, text says, starting in verse 54, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears. You get that? They didn't want to hear that. They covered their ears and yelling at the tops of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, their witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a man, a young man named Saul, which we'll pick up with him next week. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. God gave Stephen a peek at his happy ending, at our happy ending. God let him look in heaven and actually see Jesus standing at his right hand. This was a validation that Jesus is who he says he is. Stephen actually got to see Jesus standing at his father's right hand, ruling and reigning with all authority as judge. So, while Stephen was being falsely accused, mistreated, even stoned, 
Who is the judge? Who was the judge overseeing above all of this? His Lord. How encouraging for someone being persecuted, right? And not only just when you're being persecuted, but how encouraging for you and I just when, when our life is in a mess. When circumstances have just gotten out of our control. To be able to look up and know that Jesus is at his Father's right hand and that all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to him. And that one day this Lord, this judge, this righteous one who died and rose again is going to come and make things right. When he died, um, when, when he's being stoned, just like Jesus, Stephen forgave. He forgave the people who were killing him, just like Jesus did on the cross. Why did he do that? Because Jesus had forgiven him. Because Stephen knew that without Jesus, his own story would have been a very sad one. We see er, Stephen's life teaches, Stephen's life and death teaches us that there is only one story, the gospel. And that there is only one Lord worth living for and worth dying for. Is that the story that you're living for? Is Jesus the center of your story? See, Jesus' life and death does more than teach us. Because Jesus died as our substitute. Jesus died to save us from our sins. In love for us, he gave his life to finally free us from half-finished stories and false stories that try to control us and could never truly satisfy us. Jesus set us free. He saved us from the emptiness and the slavery that those things could only bring. And Jesus gave us a way to live in his story, to be part of his story. And his story fills us with true joy, and his story lasts forever because he is our Savior. And that's why, at the end of Stephen's story, it says that he fell asleep. Because his story wasn't over at all. It was just beginning. What story are you living for? Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.